Some call it global success. Some call it upward mobility. Some call it the winning attitude. Others call it tireless ambition. But today, we're going to boil it down to the kind of description that we all understand. So let's use the modern speak for our message title this morning, High Impact Living. The Apostle Paul was certainly a high-impact person. Moving from success at one level in life to real significance. As we will discover, as we look into the Philippian letter, this is a letter that Paul wrote to new believers in Philippi, and I want us to look at chapters 3 and 4 specifically, and if you have your Bible or your Bible app handy, don't need to turn right now, but just get it ready, Philippians 3 and 4. In last week's message, Pastor Todd gave us a wonderful insight into moving forward despite roadblocks, with special emphasis on David and then a, a special emphasis more so on Paul. So I want to ask something of you this morning in a personal way. Do you remember when you were young? I didn't say, do you remember if you were young? Do you remember playing or being involved with other children and pretending to be somebody that you admired? I can say I always did that when I played sports at that level. Like the neighborhood kids would get together or we'd get a gang together on the schoolyard and after we'd choose up sides, we'd then get to pick who we wanted to be. Guys, and, and maybe some of you girls too, remember doing this. When we played baseball, I was Mickey Mantle. Any of you that have seen me play baseball, you don't have any question about that. That laughter was kind of piercing to my heart. But When we played hockey, I was anybody from the Canadian de Montreal. Be it Jean Beliveau, Bernard Geoffrion, or the rocket himself, Maurice Richard. You know kids still do this? Not too long ago, there was a TV commercial with Michael Jordan in it that had a jingle that said, like Mike, I want to be like Mike. I suppose maybe aspiring musicians do this too with the other musicians that they admire. I don't know. But here's the thing. The reason we did this is because we wanted to be like them. We wanted to play like they played. We wanted to look like they looked. We wanted to be su uh, successful. We wanted to be known. We wanted to have impact. And we knew as kids something that we often forget as adults. We learn by modeling others. You can be a better whatever it is by modeling someone that you admire. Now that's what we're going to try to do today as we examine one of the Bible's most powerful examples of high-impact living. 
But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and thank you that you promise to be present wherever we gather in your name, the name of Jesus. May the Holy Spirit have his way as he settles like a holy hush over this place, and may every heart be touched and every life transformed in a new and present and powerful way, and everything that we say, that we think, that we do, may it all be done and accomplished in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for we pray in that wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Doing character studies from the Bible is a very interesting thing because they were all, thir- they were all, all the people that you meet in the Bible, they're, they're all coming from different walks of life. They all have different histories. They all have different ambitions. It's very interesting. But also I must add that the Bible is full of scoundrels. God has largely worked through people who were to one, to one degree or another were either, either drunks or murderers or cowards or adulterers, or thieves, or idolaters, or racists, or cheaters, or liars. You get the picture. But we all can learn from these people because they were all thoroughly changed when they encountered God. And from the example of their lives, we can see how God can change and use us to be high-impact people, doing some high-impact living for Him. So here we are again looking at, who else, the Apostle Paul. Paul was an extremely successful and powerful person. He was a driven person with a type A personality. He had climbed to the top of society's ladder and he was highly spoken of, but when, listen, when he let Jesus take hold of his life, he threw all that away and as a result, He changed the world. Before investigating the secret to Paul's significance, it's important to know who Paul was. And it's important to know why it can matter to you and to me today. High impact living. So first, who was Paul? Or who was this Saul of Tarsus? And why should we even care? Well, first, he was a contemporary of Jesus, meaning he was alive at the same time as Jesus was. He was probably a few years younger than Jesus. He was probably, I'm going to say he's early 30-something, but I don't, I don't really know that. When Jesus was crucified, that's probably about the age range you would find Paul. He was, uh, he, he, Paul and Jesus were living in Jerusalem at the same time, even though neither of them are, were really from there. But Paul must have known about Jesus through some conversations or some news, but there's no evidence that they ever met while Jesus was here on earth. So first, he was a contemporary of Jesus. Secondly, he was an open and avowed enemy of Jesus. See, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was on earth for another 40 days, and he appeared to over 500 people. 
And before Jesus went into heaven, he promised to give his spirit to all who believed in him. And a few days later, tend to be exact, on a day called Pentecost, and that word translated just means 50th, on the 50th day, his spirit was given to 120 believers. My friend, that was the day that Christianity came to life. Jesus' followers then hit the street with a bold new style. And you know, three, listen to this, 3,000 converts joined the faith family on the first day alone. Paul hated these people. It just went without saying, if you followed Jesus, Paul hated you. He hated you with a murderous passion. He believed these people were all heretics. In fact, the first time the Bible mentions Paul or Saul over in Acts chapter 7, he's overseeing the murder of a Christian man by the name of Stephen. So by now, if you want to know who Paul, or Paul is, I'm going to tell you that he became a fierce bounty hunter of Christians. He went throughout the land having Christians arrested and killed. Just at will. Though there were already thousands of Christians, the church was still, you remember now, in its infancy, and Paul was determined to take advantage of this early opportunity to strangle the church while it was still in its cradle. He was the most feared man among Christians. Nobody is even a close second. But next... I am happy to report that Paul was a convert of Jesus. Amen. Because if you go two chapters beyond into Acts chapter 9, it tells us that on the way to a town called Damascus to capture some more Christians and to put some more torture on them and to kill more of them, a light from heaven flashed around Paul. He fell to the ground. That's what verse 4 said. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you perse persecute me? Uh, Saul was his Hebrew name. We just settled that. Who are you, Lord? He answered. And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I want you to go into the city, and there you'll be told what to do. Now he's blind for three days, and a disciple under the, the orders of the Lord came, a, a disciple by the name of Ananias, filled with the Holy Spirit, verses 17 and 18 of Acts chapter 9, came to Paul, placed his hands on him, and his eyes were open. The scales fell off his eyes. And he could see. And he was baptized. Here's what we read in verse 18. I just I got this double red underlined in my Bible. Immediately he got up and was baptized. Boy, I wish we had that kind of excitement about being saved in the church today, where people put it off, 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 and then just just stay away from it altogether. If you haven't been baptized, boy, there is a verse for you. Immediately he got up and was baptized. Is there any doubt about his conversion? It seems to be, in so many cases, that we have to be in a crisis before we really let God take control of our lives. We have to be down in the pit before we look up to him. 
So here's the headline news of the day, reporting straight from the Christians. Quote, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. End of quote. High impact living. And add this to your list. He was also an imitator of Jesus. I got to tell you this about Paul. His conversion was truly authentic. <laughs> it was real. It was Paul who wrote the phrase in Galatians 2 and 20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Those are Paul's writings. So here's this former self-righteous, racist, bounty hunter, hater of Jesus, becoming a changed man. He was so changed that he was even able to write the 13th chapter of the 1 Corinthian letter. He wrote it all, of course, but that's known as the love chapter. It's heard at weddings oftentimes. Love is patient, love is kind, and on and on it goes. It is probably the most read scripture in the world. America's most popular no novelist, maybe some of you have read him, is John Grisham. Grisham said, authors write what they know about. John Grisham knows about the law, and he knows about the South. So he wrote a very famous story about law set in Memphis. Well, bring that over. Paul was able to write this way about love because he knew what this kind of love did for him and what it would do for every single person in this world. In 1 Corinthians, that's why he could write 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He was describing Jesus. And you know, as you read through that and you know that that's what he's doing, that's a description of Jesus, he could have also inserted his own name every time the word love appeared. So Paul, you know, you, you, you look at, the, at uh, these things and you wonder, well, what's the progression here? We're making it. Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. He was an enemy of Jesus. He was a fierce bounty hunter of Christians. He was a convert of Jesus. And then he became an imitator of Jesus. And that tells us a little bit about who Paul is. Matter of fact, it tells us a lot. But now we need to, to know the second part or the other side of the coin. How Paul's life affects you and affects me today. High impact living. God worked through him more than any other Christian ever. How do I know that? Because it's lasted for over 2,000 years and it's still going strong. His high impact life. Paul has been the most effective Christian missionary of all time. In fact, if you are not of Jewish descent, and you are a Christian today, there's a good chance that you are a direct spiritual descendant of Paul and his evangelistic work. I'll put it in a nutshell. If Paul had not become a Christian, you and I, maybe none of us, might even be Christians today. Very good chance of it. He's the author, listen, of half the letters in the New Testament. 
what he wrote influenced all the other great writers. Can you imagine? Can you, let's stop for a second. Can you imagine writing something so important and significant, even if you only wrote one sentence or one paragraph, that God would say, I want that in the Bible? Oh, Paul got 13, not of his sentences and not of his paragraphs, but 13 of his letters into the Bible. His work has done more to change the world than probably, and, and I don't say this uh, with any reservation, I, I, I'm, I'm not pointing any fingers, I'm just saying his work to change the world has probably done more than all of the preachers and all of the pastors and all of the evangelists the world has known combined. Do you know that the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential people in all of human history? There's a book, and you can find it, I'm guessing online would be, be the place, but you can find it in most any major bookstore. It's called A Ranking of the 100 Most Influential People in History. Very interesting book. I do not agree with its order in total, but interesting anyway to see how some people think. I'll tell you the top three. Mohammed is listed as the most influential. I can explain that. Sir Isaac Newton is second, if you're a scientific type. And Jesus is third. Now in the book, the author begins the section on Jesus by trying to explain why he is not ranked first. Part of the explanation is a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he did. Because from the author's writing, you can tell he didn't believe Jesus really was the Son of God. Rather, what he emphasized was Jesus' ethical influence as a teacher. But another reason he puts Jesus third, and this is interesting, is because Paul was so helpful to Jesus' cause that the credit must be shared between Paul and Jesus. And it wasn't just one leader like Muhammad who founded Islam and then died. As a result, Paul is listed. Hear this. Hear this, Paul, in this book, is listed as the sixth most influential person in all of history. Wow. Don't you think that's impressive that a man putting a book together, he's not a Christian, he has no Christian agenda to push, he lists the Apostle Paul, I checked that out for myself, as the sixth most influential person in the history of the whole world. In my book, it says, as far as changing hearts and eternal destinies, God's perspective is Jesus first and Paul second. But I haven't had my book published yet. Now, what was the secret to his significance? And how can our lives become more significant? I'm glad you asked because I wanted to get over to the third chapter of Philippians this morning. And he reveals what his goal in life is. And as a result, in doing that, he lets us in on the secret to his significance. Significance of high impact living. So what was Paul's goal? And I want to say, if we're modeling Paul, 
and what should our goal be. And so we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read in just a moment. When Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Philippi, let me give you the backdrop here. He was in the, probably in his 60s. He was in a Roman prison. Now, that's being kind to call it a prison. He was in a dungeon. He was expecting to be killed at any moment. And according to tradition, Paul eventually was beheaded in Rome during the anti-Christian persecution of, of Nero. So let's take a look, a closer look, at Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. I am going to begin to read at verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he's talking about having confidence about doing good and, and looking good before God. He said, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, according to Jewish tradition, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law as a Pharisee. As for zeal, <laughs> he had it, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider... See, he's at the top of the ladder. I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Just that far for now. Here's what Paul's saying. If it were possible at all, if, 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 if it were, and a lot of people still live by this mantra and to their own demise, I'm sorry to say, but Paul is saying here, if it were possible to be and live good enough to go to heaven, I would be the top dog. I'd be at the top of the list. And I've talked to a lot of people. I, 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 I don't, I, I don't uh, do things. I don't hurt people. I, I'm good to my neighbor. I, 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 I. Paul's saying here in Philippians 3, 4 through 11, if it even were possible to be good enough to get to heaven, by just the way I live or the religion I keep, man, I'm the top dog. But when he was encountered by Jesus Christ, he realized the things he was embracing. What were they? His education, highly educated, his career, yeah, his reputation, his good behavior. All these things he was counting on to give him happiness in this life and, and, and eternal life later, I'm sure, looked like, smelled like, and were sewage compared to knowing and embracing Jesus Christ. Wow. So what was his ambition here? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. 
First, it was to know Christ. And I know that because he said it twice in those few verses. In verse 8, he said it. And again, in verse 10, he says it. And I want to just stop on the word know, K-N-O-W. It does not mean intellectual knowledge. Can I repeat that? It does not mean intellectual knowledge. It doesn't mean to know about Christ. People say, oh, have you heard of God? Have you heard of, well, I, yeah, I know. Do you know Jesus? Well, I know, I know some things about him. No, 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 no. That's it's a different no altogether. Okay? It doesn't mean to know about Christ. It means, here's what it means. Knowing Christ personally and experientially. That's a much deeper relationship than just mental assent. My friends, Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is not about a book. It's not about a place. It's not about rules. It's not about a set of tasks. It's all about relationship. It's about relationship with someone who makes you better than you are. You can live to be 120 and have religion 119 of those years, and you're not going to be any better for it. Religion won't do it. Somebody who makes you better than you are. Yeah, say, well, I say, how are you doing? Well, better than I deserve. Well, that goes without saying you're drawing breath. But I mean, how are you in the spiritual sense? Does he make you better? Has he made you better than you are? I want to give you an example from real life. 55 years and 94 days ago, I married Barbara. Pretty good decision, right? Not just because I loved her. That was not enough. Listen to me. But because I liked who I was and still do, when I was with her. In modern terminology, it could be put this way. I married up. No. 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 You may have a friend. You may even have a spouse of whom you think likewise. Like, wow, I don't only love that person, but I like who I am when I'm with that person. That person makes me feel so much better. And likewise, bring it down into our relationship with Christ. He makes us better people because of who he is, not because of who we are. And you will like who you are, and you are not just who you are. Don't just stop there. Please don't stop there. But who you are continually becoming when you are with him. I'd like for you to look with me now at verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, still there, still Paul, still talking, still encouraging these people and telling them what it's like. 
Now he says about himself, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on, that's where we get the word pressure, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, he says, who are mature should, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, he's given them some space, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. If a church would take that on as their motto. If a group of Christians in this world would take that on and really mean that as their motto, that, that 16th verse, it would, it would transform the world. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. And I'll speak to that in a moment. Now, Paul's second ambition then was to grow in Christ. Why? Because he was living the high-impact life. And so, he gives some great advice. Here's the advice. Two parts. First, he forgets about what is behind. I don't know whether he was speaking of his accomplishments or his sins or his shortcomings or his religious life. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the first piece of advice. And it's first for a reason, because if you don't do that, you're not going anywhere anyway. First, he says he forgets what is behind. Can you imagine if you went to heaven and God had this huge, huge jumbo screen with all of your sins on there, and part of your judgment was to have you stand there, and you and everyone else, thousands hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people watching that whole tape. Ooh. Ooh. Here's what Paul says. Forget that. Let go of your past. Because not only has God forgiven your sins, he's also erased the tape. Now you need to stop hitting the rewind button. There's nothing in there. There was an old song that the Southern Gospel people used to sing years ago. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. We come to God with this, with that, with something else. And he's saying, what are you talking about? I forgave your sins, and when I did, it was your past and your present and your future sins. And all your sins were future when he was crucified. The tape has been erased. Amen? Amen. Can you say that with me? The tape has been erased. Can you say it one more time? It's beautiful to hear. The tape has been Wow. Now the second piece of advice, before I go to seed on this first one, let go of your past. Secondly, 
He's straining toward what lies ahead. The Christian life is like a journey. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard anybody say that before? Have you ever read that maybe in a book? It's like a journey. I'll tell you what else it's like. It's like going up. How many have ever gone up an escalator? How many have ever gone up an escalator? You might know if you have. It's like going up an escalator that's very rapidly going down. No, don't laugh too fast. It might be you right there. That might be your life. That's what life is. The truth here now is you can't stop and coast. That's not a moving sidewalk. <laughs> no. You're going up, but it's going down. You can't stop and coast. Now, the world is going to continually try to push you down, and you will lose ground if you give in. Strain toward the top. That's the word that Paul uses, and he used it twice, that you can make progress. You can keep moving. You can get ahead. You can take three steps forward instead of two forward and three back. Remember this saying, the race is not to the swift, but to those who keep running. This same passage lends itself to uh, what I call Paul's third ambition, and that is to serve Christ. Christ has not only taken a hold of us to encourage us to grow or to be, become like him, but he also wants us to serve like he served. God has given every Christian a gift in order to serve. I have one. You have one. Now, some here in this room may have more than one. But we all have at least one special, one special gift. The gift may be a natural talent enhanced by the Holy Spirit, or it may be a special gift given by God to benefit others and to glorify God. I don't know. As many of you sitting here know, the people on paid staff at Faith Community are not the only ministers of this church. If there is a distinction, and there is to be made, between the staff and you, it's that you have been called to be ministers. How you doing? And the staff has been called to be equipping ministers. Yeah, I thought it got early quiet, too. The staff is kind of like the coach and the cheerleaders of a team. And you're the players. And when you know what position you like and you're good at it, we'll help coach you and we'll cheer you on. And it'll grow. And you will grow. And we will all experience high-impact living. So now Paul's last ambition can be found in Philippians 3, starting at verse 17. We're all the way down to verse 17 now. And we're going to read. I'm going to read a few verses and then have you join me. So let me start at 17. Paul's still writing. He says, join together in following my example. Here we are, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Ooh. For, as often, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Where's your mindset? Now, would you join me on verse 20 and 21 
and then the very first verse of chapter 4. Those three verses. Let's read together. But our citizenship is and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, and whenever you see therefore, you always ask in Scripture, what's it? Therefore. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. High-impact living. You share Christ by imitating Christ. I love this story by Frederick Buchner. I think it's called The Happy Hypocrite. I think that's the title. It's a story about a man who was born with a very... A very unfortunate, a very awful facial deformity. So he grew up alone and very lonely. When, teach, when he reached adulthood, he decided he just couldn't live in that town where he was brought up any longer. And uh, so he moved away from that town to want to start a new life. And on his way, he discovered a beautiful mask that fit his face just, just perfectly, and it actually made him look handsome. At first, the mask was uncomfortable, and he was afraid people were going to find out who he really was, but he continued to wear the mask every day. So people didn't know. In his new hometown, he made many friends, and a little later on, he fell in love. It's quite a story. But then one day, a wicked woman from his old hometown came to his town, and she uncovered this man's true identity in front of his friends, in front of his fiancée. She forced him to remove his mask. When he removed the mask, it revealed a most handsome face. You see? His face had conformed to the mask. Now listen. Becoming like Christ is analogous to that. Go ahead and put on Christ. At first it might feel unnatural, might feel uncomfortable. You may think, who am I trying to fool? But every day, just keep putting on Christ, and every day you are going to grow to look more like him. Try on Christ. And what first came as awkward will become natural. You know the world is desperately seeking someone to follow? That they will follow someone is absolutely certain. But will he or she be someone who knows the way of Christ? Or will he or she be one leading them only on into greater darkness. The man known as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, and I quote, about serving Christ. By serving Christ, you're serving others. He said this, and I quote, Think how precious a soul must be if both the devil and God are after it. 
I read a message on a t-shirt the other day. It said, big letters, big bold letters, Jesus is, and then this long list, my God, my King, my Lord, my Savior, my healer, my refuge, my provider, my strength, my defender, my protector, my peace, my joy, my life, my all, my everything. And I thought, man, you got it all right there. That covers it. Hear me one last time, beloved. We don't need more information. We don't need more book learning. We don't need more formulas. We don't need more secondhand wisdom. We don't need more spiritual fields that are 10 acres wide and one inch deep. We don't need revelation of new truth. We just need more living out what we already know. Praise God for you. Praise God for every last one of you. And praise God for high impact living.